I see some new faces, which is always a good thing here at City Church. If you haven't heard it yet, this is a place where everyone is welcome because no one is perfect. However, just like Malachi said, we worship the one triune God who is and makes it possible for us to come together and worship. And the beautiful thing about that is that when you're worshiping God in, in all of his his perfectness, right? In, in all of in all of who he is and what he's done. It doesn't matter how imperfect I am or how imperfect you are. And not a just before we go too far, I think this is the first time I've ever heard people clap after announcements. You're right? Like what but what what Ray said is incredibly true. Growth happens in community. We believe that it happens in community. If you're living isolated, you're not in groups, you're not a member at a church, we would love for you to, to get involved in a group. We'd love for you to come to the membership class on October the 10th, like he mentioned, and we'd love to help you grow in your knowledge and love for the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you are new here, I want to let you know that we've been studying Paul's letter to the Ephesians we looked back this week, and I think it was January or February that we started studying this letter. So we've been in it for some time, right? And we're coming to an end because last week as we, we got into Ephesians chapter 6, we looked at verses 10 through 13. And we are introduced to, to the reality of the spiritual war that all believers are engaged in in the spiritual armor required for this war. And after 10 years in the army... In a few trips to Afghanistan, I've learned that in addition to trusting your training, in addition to trusting the person to your left and right, there's an immeasurably valuable lesson in learning to trust your equipment or your armor. For example, if, if you're entering and clearing a room during a raid, you're taught to keep your armor squared towards your enemy so that in the event you get shot, it's more than likely, or it's more possible or probable to hit you in the plate and save your life, right? Rather than exposing your sides where bullet could penetrate and cause a potentially fatal wound, you're taught to keep your, your armor squared to the enemy. So that being said, war is a high-stakes affair. And the right armor, the right equipment, it is essential for survival. So the spiritual war that all believers are engaged in like we studied last week, it's already been won. We need to remember that it has already been won by Jesus in his death on the cross. Can somebody say amen? Amen. amen. It's already been won, right? Sin and death and Satan. It was proven that he defeated all those things in his resurrection from the grave. So just like soldiers, the Lord has given us armor, his armor, that we must put on so that we can stand firm or hold the line against the schemes of the devil until the Lord returns. So before we study this first piece of divine armor that we see in verse 14, let's consider what we've looked at or studied to this point in the letter. Earlier in, earlier in the letter, Paul has explained that it's our union with Christ, right? Like when you believe you are brought into union with with Christ, and it is this union that directly and immediately brings us into opposition with Satan. 
right? He, he told us, or we've learned, that, that in, in that union we were brought up into uh, being seated with him in the heavenly realm, in the heavenly places. And this is, it brings us into opposition with Satan, right? Because God's enemy is now our enemy. So in verse, uh, verses 10 through 13, Paul wants the believers in Ephesus and the believers here tonight in Gainesville to be aware that we are in a spiritual battle that, like, we can't just ignore this. We can't just pretend that it's not happening and keep our head in the sand. We need to know that we are in this battle, we are in this war, and we have opposition. And the opposition is Satan and his minions. I know that word's kind of funny now because of the movies, but, you know, it is what it is. Consequently, the believer won't find life and ministry getting any easier. Can anybody just testify to that? Right? When, when you're trying to grow in your knowledge and love for the Lord and serve Him and be obedient to Him, life and ministry will not get easier. So don't believe the lie that says, when you believe in Jesus, it's sunshine and rainbows from here. Or at least show me where in Scripture that's true. Right? Life and ministry will not get easier. Do not believe the lie that says that it will. Consequently, the Christian who no longer struggles against the world, the flesh, and the devil has retreated from the front lines of this battle, has retreated from the front lines of service. So let's take a second, if you have your Bibles, let's just look at where this instruction on this spiritual war and this armor is in relation to the whole letter. Right? In Ephesians 5, we, well, 5 and 6, we talked about the household codes. We studied the household codes, household codes, not colds. Right? We talked about wives and husbands, the duties and God's design for marriage. Then we talked about God's design for the family. Then we talked about servants and masters. Um, I struggle to say work, but our service, right? Household codes. It's almost as if it's in these areas, not explicitly, but almost as if it's in these areas, marriage, the family, and work. I struggle to say it, work, but in these areas that we're, we become more aware that we're against the schemes of the devil, right? Can anybody testify to that, right? Who's married, right? Who works? Who has a family, right? You become very aware that, hey, there's some evil stuff going on that you can't always see. It's real subtle, but you're, you're very aware of in these areas. Now, it's not explicit or, or not uh, just only in these areas, but it's interesting to think that it's from these areas that this instruction comes almost as if it's in these areas that we become the most aware of it. All right. So if we, if we need any, any future evidence of this spiritual war, let's quickly survey Scripture. We know that in Genesis, right before we even leave the Garden of Eden, Satan tempts Adam and Eve, Adam and, Adam and, Eve and lures them from innocence to sin. Right, then we see in the Old Testament, God's people, the people of Israel, after he leads them out of Egypt, out of slavery and captivity, he leads them, and they, they what? They worship false 
idols. They worship false gods. They bow down. They serve these, these false, hideous, demonic deities that are anything but the one true and triune God. These are the same people that God delivered. Right? Then it continues in the New Testament, right? Because these same people, God's people, after hearing all the prophecies about the coming Messiah, after hearing and, and understanding all that God has promised in the coming Messiah, Satan deceives God's people to ultimately crucify the Messiah that he told them was coming. Not just crucify, but reject. So we can't sit here in the 21st century and say to ourselves, no, nah, it's not a real thing, or, or think that we're better than that, right? That we can't be deceived as easily as anybody in Scripture. This is very real, and it's very uh, strategic, right? It's the schemes of the devil, and we see this today, right? We see it today. Ultimately, this is a battle of truth. Yeah, it's over a lot of things, salvation, righteousness, purity, a bunch of things, but ultimately it's a battle of truth, and more specifically, God's truth as revealed in creation, as seen in Jesus, as proven in Scripture, and as lived out by faith and obedience. This is a battle of truth. Let's look at a, a few contemporary issues. Consider the denial of God's truth about gender. Advocates of gender theory assert this. I quote, gender is a sociological concept, end quote. Simply put, many gender theorists believe and proclaim, I quote again, one is not born a man or a woman, one is made a man or a woman, end quote. Or how about the current ethical challenges in society which deny God's truth concerning the order for the family? One well-known organization, their doctrinal statement reads this, quote, we disrupt the prescribed nuclear family structure requirement by supporting each other as extended families in villages that collectively care for one another, especially our children, to the degree that mothers, parents, and children are comfortable. Did you catch that in, in the beginning? We disrupt the prescribed nuclear family structure requirement. We disrupt that. How about the relational challenges in the church? We see many places today being swept away or seduced away from scripture by liberal theology, psychology, mysticism, and occult practices. But can you hear it just for a second? Can you hear it? It's almost like we're in the Garden of Eden. Did, did God really say that? Did God really mean that? Could God really still care about that? We are in this battle. But don't be fooled. We need to remember that in verse 12, Paul tells us that it's not against flesh and blood that we fight. It's not against other people. It's not against another country or another nation. No, it's against the uh, rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over the present darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Or, simply put, it's against Satan and his minions, and no, not the yellow ones from the movie. Remember, this battle is ultimately for God's truth. And since our enemy is not flesh and blood, we, who are fighting this battle, cannot fight it in the power 
of our own flesh and blood. Look at what Paul writes in his letter to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5. He writes this, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. This spiritual battle requires spiritual resources. So to stand firm or to hold the line in this battle, we need to put on the whole armor of God. In 1655, Puritan minister William Gurnall wrote this regarding the armor of God. In heaven we shall appear, not in, arm, not in armor, but in robes of glory. But here, the, armor of, of, the, armor, the pieces of armor specified, excuse me, are to be worn night and day. We must walk, work, and sleep in them, or else we are not true soldiers of Christ. With that, I invite you to open your Bibles to Ephesians 6. We'll be reading the first part of verse 14. When you have it, say amen. Don't lie. All right, Paul writes, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge our dependence on you, not just for this armor, not just for endurance in this fight. We acknowledge our dependence, God, for divine illumination, for your Holy Spirit to illuminate your word to us. So, Father, we humbly ask that you would illuminate your word to us so that we might understand what you want us to understand, hear what you want us to hear, and see what you want us to see. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So, verse 14, Paul starts, stand therefore, stand therefore. And this marks the third time that the apostle calls believers to take a firm position in Christ, in this spiritual battle. And his emphasis on Christians needing to stand firm shows how much he cared for Christian stability, how concerned he was for the believers in Ephesus and the believers elsewhere, and you and me here tonight in Gainesville, to stand firm for Christian stability. He expresses this in several other of his letters. Look at 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Galatians 5, 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Philippians 4.1, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm. Thus in the Lord, my beloved. 2 Thessalonians 2.15, So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. So to stand firm, when used in a military sense, it had the idea of holding a critical position while under attack. So the intent of this exhortation or admonition, depending on how you look at it, here is similar to Jesus's to the embattled church of Thyatira. In Revelation 2.25, Jesus commands the church in Thyatira, or the believers in Thyatira, this. Only hold fast. Similar to stand firm. Only hold 
fast what you have until I come. So Paul knows that wobbly Christians who have no firm foothold in Christ are easy prey to Satan. Right? So, so if you're a wobbly Christian, if you are not standing firm in Christ, you're easy prey for Satan. Maybe that's why we clapped when Ray was talking about small groups. Maybe that's why we clapped when he was talking about church membership. Because growth happens in community. Stability, protection happens in community. When we're alone, when we're isolated, our Bible reading, our praying, all that stuff may slip. With no accountability, easy prey for the devil. So Christians who shake like we uh, shake like weaves, shake like leaves, leaves, not weaves, shake like leaves in the wind cannot resist when the rulers and authority authorities begin to blow. So Paul wants to see Christians so strong, so stable that they remain strong and firm against the devil's schemes. And we know that Paul was very familiar with Roman soldiers. So it's interesting as we read this armor what he may have been considering. We know that he met many in his travels, and as he wrote this letter, he was more than likely chained to one as he explains in verse 20. But what we know about, excuse me, Roman soldiers is that they wore a loose-fitting tunic, right? Does anybody know what a tunic is, right? It's like one piece, and it hangs down. It's kind of like a sundress type deal, but, you know, it's more manly, you know, especially when it's worn by a Roman soldier, <laughs> you know? And since, com- like, since combat was largely hand-to-hand, they didn't have laser-guided missiles and, you know, sniper rifles and all that stuff. Like, it was largely hand-to-hand. This, this long tunic would have hindered the soldier's ability to move and fight. Right? Imagine, you know, having to fight in a sundress. So as a result, tripping over your own uh, clothing was a a real concern. So this tunic, it would be wrapped and tucked into this belt, securing all that might otherwise affect a soldier's ability to move and fight. It also held the soldier's sword. And as the soldier fastened on this belt, it gave him a sense of inner strength and confidence. Therefore, fastening one's belt... It was an essential element of preparation and readiness. If you want to get ready to fight, you fasten on this belt. You tuck everything into this belt. You get your sword on this belt, and you're ready to go. Preparation and readiness started with this belt. Now, the King James calls this girding up their loins. I know Tim. Tim is like, amen. All right. I avoided that. But this is how the King James translates it, right? So Ephesians 6.14 in the King James Version reads this, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. And here's a quick side note. If you're ever looking for a compelling argument for a more modern translation, pause the conversation, ask somebody next to you what it means to have your loins girded, and when they say, no clue, you say, well, how about the ESV? (laughs) Or another reliable translation. I'm messing with you, Tim. All right, so the loin, it's located below the rib cage 
and just below the pelvis on the human body. It also refers to the area below the belt covered by human underwear. We had to go there. We had to get that out of the way. All right, so girding up one's loins or fastening one's belt was a mark, again, of preparation and readiness. This is a picture that runs throughout the Bible. Let's consider a few examples. In Exodus 12, 11, reads this, In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, or in the King James Version, with your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Here God commands Aaron and Moses to instruct God's people to eat the Passover meal in traveling clothes. Why? One commentator, or one commentator puts it this way. They ate in this manner because of the potential threat of antagonism around them. Therefore, they wanted to be engaged in the pursuit of God in a way that they were ready to take a stand for God. And this was a distinguishing mark of the Hebrew faith. Right, so let's continue. This is a mark of preparation and readiness. In the New Testament, Luke's Gospel, it, it records Jesus saying this in Luke 12, 35 and 36. Stay dressed for action. Or in the King James, let your loins be girded about. And keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast. So that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Do you hear what Jesus is commanding? He's commanding his disciples to stay prepared for his return. And then in the New Testament, Peter writes this in his first epistle in 1 Peter 1.13. Therefore, preparing your minds, or in the King James, girding up the loins of your mind for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter is instructing his readers to have their minds prepared for action by pulling in all the loose ends of one's thinking, rejecting the hindrances of the world, and focusing on the future grace and glory of God revealed in Jesus, Jesus Christ's return. Now, to, I guess, maybe contextualize this, who's ever been flying in mid-flight, the seatbelt light comes on? Just show of hands. Does your heart just drop? It's not cool. You know, they try to make it all, all cool and ding. And then it's, you know, the, inevitably the captain, you know, hey, we're expecting some turbulence, so go ahead and stow everything away. Your laptop, your bag, put up your tray. It's just some minor turbulence that we're expecting. And praise God, I haven't been on a flight. That's, you know, you're all over the place and you end up upside down or anything like that. And praise God, none of those little masks came down. But that's exactly what, what we're seeing here. Paul is instructing the believers in Ephesus and the believers here tonight in Gainesville to be prepared for the spiritual battle ahead. Be prepared for the battle ahead. Stow away all the loose excess, all the things that would hinder us from being able to stand firm or to hold the line. How do we do this? With truth. Truth is, it's an important theme in Scripture, and it's been important in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. You'll remember what Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. But earlier in this letter, we see that 
that the gospel is truth. In Ephesians 1.13, Paul writes this, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, what's the word of truth? The gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Then in Ephesians 4.21, Paul explained that Jesus is the truth and the source of truth. He writes this, Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth, is in Jesus. Then in Ephesians 4.25, we saw that believers must be truth-speaking people. In Ephesians 4.25, Paul writes this, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. So to fasten on the belt of truth, or to gird our loins with truth, means to be strengthened by God's truth. Right? In the gospel, it means to commit, to live truthfully. It means to stand on God's truth. Anybody hear those sirens? Okay, moving on. And to be directed by such truth. This belt, the belt of truth, it keeps us from giving in to the world's beliefs. You can't prepare. You can't stand firm. You can't hold the line in this spiritual war if you are not girded, if you, are, if you have not fastened the truth of God's word around you. So, fasten on the belt of truth. Come to Jesus. Believe in Jesus and rest in his promised return. Live his truth, speak his truth, preach his truth of the gospel to yourself and to others all, like throughout the day. Live in this truth. Stand on this truth. Let this truth gird your loins. Years ago, John Stott, an Anglican minister, pastor, theologian, and one of the leaders of the worldwide evangelical movement, he made an amazing statement saying this, and I think we have it up here. Yeah, perfect. Just as the world is becoming more aware of its need, the church is becoming less assured of its mission. And the major reason for the diminishing Christian mission is the diminishing confidence in the Christian message. Do you hear what Stata is saying? In the time that the world needs truth most, it's becoming more aware of its need for truth. It's realizing, hey, we need truth. Christians, we need you. We've loosened our belts, we've shut our mouths, and we've retreated from the front lines of this war. Because Satan has stifled our confidence in the Christian mission, and more specifically, the Christian message. Why don't we share the gospel? Why don't we proclaim it to everybody that we know? Because, I mean, yeah, we believe it's good for ourselves, but we're not so sure that it's good for others. We're not so, we're not so assured that it's worth, worth losing the job. It's worth losing the friends. That it's worth whatever may come. Because we're not too sure about it. Satan has, Satan has stifled our confidence in the Christian message. So what would it look like if we left here and we entered our community and our workplaces and we were committed, devoted to the Christian mission to proclaim the Christian message? What would it look like if we, um, if we stood firm and focused on sharing the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ to the nations? What would it look like in times of adversity? What would it look like if every time a president that we didn't vote for made a decision that we didn't like, instead of simply bickering about incompetence, we proclaim the good news 
We look for opportunities to share the gospel. Would the, would the world look different? Would our community look different? Would your family, your workplace, wherever it is, would it look different if you stood firm and held the line? Could it be that, that Satan is using the pandemic, critical race theory, gender theory, uh, Afghanistan, whatever the issue is, could he be using that to distract us, to take us off the front lines, to get, to get us unfocused, not worried about the Christian mission to, uh, to proclaim the Christian message? Could that be the case? How many people here have been watching the news about Afghanistan? Just show of hands. Yeah, that's a lot of us. It's important stuff, right? It's hard to watch, right? Over the last month or so, I've been deeply grieved and saddened and everything else. I fought there. I've bled there. I lost friends there. And in 2019, I lost nine friends, all of whom served with me in Afghanistan, uh, back to back to back to back to back in 2019. Eight of them committed suicide. The ninth was shot by his wife in his front yard with their kids in the house. Right, so, so since that time, I've learned that there are 17.5, 17 and a half veteran suicides a day. Now, some figures are higher, but that's directly from the VA. That's 6,387 and a half a year. And according to the World Health Organization, there are more than 700,000 people who commit suicide annually. That's one person every 40 seconds. So over the last month, as, as I'm feeling sorry for myself about everything that's going on in Afghanistan, like, man, how could, man, what about, blah, 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 all this other stuff, God reminded me that greater than the war on terror is the war on souls. Greater than the war on terror is the battle for God's truth, is this war that we are, that Christians are actively engaged in. So I could go get my, my picket fence and I can go get, make my signs and protest this administration or, you know, this person or whatever, or I can stand firm and commit to, to proclaiming the Christian message, the good news of Jesus Christ. So, so this is where I'm at. Take, take Afghanistan, take our equipment if it creates opportunities for Christians to share the gospel, if, if whatever comes from that, if, if we do anything other than that, well then, yeah, it was a complete waste of 20 years. But if, if you and I, if Christians all across this nation, all across the world can say, now we need to share the gospel more than ever, that's, that's where we need to be. Like, I'm convinced that Satan is just, just so happy when we're like, oh, can you believe how incompetent he is? I just can't believe that this administration is doing that. Vaccine or no vaccine? Um, what about what they're teaching in schools? Yes, all of, this, all of these are important, but what's the issue? It's not flesh and blood. It's not. So why do we take up you know, every argument, every ounce of our energy to focus on the flesh and blood instead of the Christian mission to proclaim the Christian message. I worry that, that some of us would rather have our candidate, our laws, our safety and our comfort rather than see people come to know Jesus. And this is exactly what Satan wants. He wants us to wander in the wilderness. He wants us to worship false gods. 
He wants, like we saw it, we looked at it through Scripture. This is what he wants. So if you're a believer here tonight, I, like Paul, I am begging you to stand firm, to hold the line, to fasten on the belt of truth, to gird your loins about with truth, and commit to live truthfully. Don't give in to the world's belief. Stand firm and hold the line until the Lord returns or he calls you home. That's where I'm at. And this is the first piece of armor. This is where we get our inner strength and our confidence from. Nothing else with this belt of truth. So as we come to a close, I want to invite you guys to pray. I want to invite you guys to come talk to me after this. And I want to invite you, more importantly, to believe in Jesus. Commit tonight to standing firm, to holding the line. Commit to his truth. Rest in his truth. Believe in his truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful that that in this battle that we don't have to re rely on ourselves, that you equip us with your armor. And more importantly, we, you give us your truth that never changes, that the world so desperately needs. We are perfectly equipped for this battle. We are perfectly equipped for this war. So Father, as we prepare to depart, I pray that that we wouldn't just be hearers of the word, that we would be doers of the word, that we would leave here focused on the Christian mission to proclaim the Christian message, that we wouldn't worry about the wind and the waves, that we wouldn't worry about everything that's going on today. Father, give us your strength, give us your armor, and let us commit until you return or call us home. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.